Section 38 of Jataka Tales by H. T. Francis and E. J. Thomas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Folly of Garulity Once upon a time, when Brahmadatta was king of Benares, his family priest was tawny brown and had lost all his teeth. His wife committed sin with another Brahmin. This man was just like the other. The priest tried times and again to restrain his wife, but could not. Then he thought, this is my enemy i cannot kill with my own hands but i must devise some plan to kill him so he came before the king and said o king your city is the chiefest city of all india and you are the chiefest king but chief king though you are your southern gate is unlikely and ill put together well now my teacher what is to be done you must bring good luck into it and set it right what is to be done we must pull down the old door get new and lucky timbers do sacrifice the spirits that guard the city and set up the new on a lucky conjunction of the stars so do then said the king and at that time the bodhisattva was a young man named takaria who was studying under this man now the priest caused the old gate to be pulled down, and the new one was made ready, which done, he went and said to the king, The gate is ready, my lord. Tomorrow is an auspicious conjunction. Before the morrow is over, we must do sacrifice and set up the new gate. Well, my teacher, what is necessary for the right? My lord, a great gate is possessed and guarded by great divinities a brahmin tawny brown and toothless of pure blood on both sides must be killed his flesh and blood must be offered in sacrifice and his body laid beneath and the gate raised upon it this will bring luck to you and your city very well my teacher have such a brahmin slain and set up the gate upon him the priest was delighted to-morrow said he i shall see the back of my enemy full of energy he returned to his home but could not keep a still tongue in his head and said quickly to his wife ah you foul hag whom will you have now to take your pleasure with to-morrow i shall kill your leman and take sacrifice of him why will you kill an innocent man the king has commanded me to slay and sacrifice a tawny brown brahmin and to set up the city gate upon him your leman is tawny brown and i mean to slay him and sacrifice him she sent her paramour a message saying they say the king wishes to slay a tawny brown brahmin and sacrifice if you would save your life flee away in time and with you all they who are like you so the man did the news spread abroad in the city, and all those in the whole city who were tawny brown fled away. The priest, nothing aware of his enemy's flight, went early next morning to the king and said, My lord, in such a place is a tawny brown brahmin to be found. Have him taken. The king sent some men for him, but they saw none, and returning informed the king that he was fled away. Search elsewhere, said the king. All over the city they searched, but found none. Search quickly, said the king. My lord, they replied, except your family priest, there is no such other. A priest, quoth he, cannot be killed. 
what do you say my lord according to the priest if the gate is not set up to-day the city will be in danger when the priest explained the matter he said that if we let this day go by the auspicious moment will not come again until the end of a year the city without a gate for a year what a chance for our enemies let us kill someone and sacrifice by the aid of some other wise brahmin and set up the gate but is there another wise brahmin like my teacher there is my lord his pupil a young man named takaria make him your family priest and do the lucky ceremony the king sent for him and did honor to him and made him priest and commanded to do as had been said the young man went to the gate with a great crowd following in the king's name they bound and brought the priest the great being caused a pit to be dug in the place where the gate was to be set up and a tent to be placed over it and with his teacher entered into the tent the teacher beholding the pit and seeing no escape said to the great being my aim had succeeded fool that i was i could not keep a still tongue but hastily told that wicked woman i have slain myself with my own weapon then he recited the first stanza i spoke in folly as a frog might call upon a snake i the forest so i fall into this pit takaria how true words spoken out of season one must rue then the other addressing him recited this stanza the man who out of season speaks will go like this to ruin lamentation woe here you should blame yourself now you must have this delved pit my teacher for your grave to these words he added yet this o oh, teacher not thou only but many another likewise has come to misery because he set not a watch upon his words so saying he told him a story of the past to prove it once upon a time they say there lived a courtesan in benares named kali and she had a brother named tundilla one day kali would earn a thousand pieces of money now tundilla was a debauchee a drunkard a gambler she gave him money and whatever he got he wasted do what she would to restrain him restrain him she could not one day he was beaten at hazard and lost the very clothes he was clad in wrapping about him a rag of loincloth he repaired to his sister's house but command had been given by her to her serving-maids that if tundila should come they were to give him nothing but to take him by the throat and cast him out and so they did he stood by the threshold and made his moan now a certain guild merchant's son who used constantly to give kali a thousand pieces of money on that day happened to see him and says he why are you weeping tundila master said he i have been beaten at the dice and came to my sister and the serving-maids took me by the throat and cast me out well stay here quoth the other and i will speak to your sister he entered the house and said your brother stands waiting clad in a rug of loin-cloth why do you not give him something to wear indeed she replied i will give nothing if you are fond of him give it yourself now in that house of ill-fame the fashion was this out of every thousand pieces of money received five hundred were for the women five hundred were the price of clothes perfumes and garlands 
the men who visited that house received garments to clothe themselves in and stayed the night there then on the next day they put off the garments they had received and put on those they had brought and went their ways on this occasion the merchant's son put on the garments provided for him and gave his own clothes to tundila he put them on and with loud shouts hastened to the tavern but kali ordered her woman that when the young man should depart next day they should take away his clothes accordingly when he came forth they ran up from this side and that like so many robbers and took the clothes from him and stripped him naked saying now young sir be off thus they got rid of him away he went naked the people made sport of him and he was ashamed and lamented saying it is my own doing because i could not keep watch over my lips to make this clear the great being recited the third stanza why ask of tundila how he should fare at kalika his sister's hands now see my clothes are gone naked am i and bare tis very like what happened late to thee another person relates this story by carelessness of the goat-herds two rams fell a-fighting on a pasture at benares as they were hard at it a certain bird a fork-tail thought to himself these two will crack their poles and perish i must restrain them so he tried to restrain them by calling out uncle don't fight not a word he got from them in the midst of the battle mounting first on the back then on the head he besought them to stop but could do nothing at last he cried fight then but kill me first and placed himself between the two heads they went on butting away at each other the bird was crushed as by a pounder and came to destruction by his own act to explain this other tale the great being repeated the fourth stanza between two fighting rams a fork tail flew though in the fray he had no part nor share the two rams heads did crush him then and there he in his fate was very like to you there was a tall tree which the cowherds set great store by the people of benares seeing it sent a certain man up the tree to gather fruit as he was throwing down the fruit a black snake issuing forth from an anthill began to ascend the tree they who stood below tried to drive him off striking at him with sticks and other things but could not then they called out to the other a snake is climbing the tree and he in terror uttered a loud cry those who stood below seized a stout cloth by four corners and bade him fall into the cloth he let himself drop and fell in the midst of the cloth between the four of them swift as the wind he came and the men could not hold him but jawed their foreheads together and broke them and so died to explain this story the great being recited the fifth stanza four men to save a fellow from his fate held the four corners of a cloth below they all fell dead each with a broken pate these men were very like you i trow others again tell this some goat thieves who lived at benares having stolen a she-goat one night determined to make a meal in the forest to prevent her bleeding they muffled her snout and tied her up in a bamboo clump next day on their way to kill her they forgot the chopper now we will kill the goat and cook her said they bring the chopper here 
but nobody had one. Without a chopper, said they, we cannot eat the beast, even if we kill her. Let her go. This is due to some merit of hers. So they let her go. Now it happened that a worker in the bamboos, who had been there for a bundle of them, left the basket-maker's knife there hidden among the leaves, intending to use it when he came again. But the goat, thinking to herself to be free, began playing about under the bamboo clump and, kicking with her hind legs, made the knife drop. The thieves heard the sound of the falling knife, and on coming to find out what it was, saw it to their great delight. Then they killed the goat and ate her flesh. Thus, to explain how this she-goat was killed by her own act, the great being recited the sixth stanza. A she-goat in a bamboo thicket bound, frisking about herself a knife had found. With that same knife they cut the creature's throat. It strikes me you are very like that goat. After recounting this he explained, But they who are moderate of speech by watching their words have often been freed from the fate of death and then told a story of fairies. A hunter, we are told, who lived in Benares, being once in the region of Himalaya, by some means or other captured a brace of supernatural beings, a fairy and her husband, and them he took and presented to the king. The king had never seen such beings before. Hunter, quoth he, what kind of creatures are these? said the man. My lord, these can sing with a honey voice, they dance delightfully, no men are able to dance or sing as they can. The king bestowed a great reward on the hunter, and commanded the fairies to sing and dance. But they thought, If we are not able to convey the full sense of our song, the song will be a failure, they will abuse and hurt us. And then again those who speak much speak falsely. So for fear of some falsehood or other, they neither sang nor danced, for all the king begged them again and again. At last the king grew angry and said, Kill these creatures, and cook them, and serve them up to me. This command he delivered in the words of the seventh stanza. No gods are these, nor heaven's musicianers, beasts brought by one who fain would fill his purse, so for my supper let them cook me one, and one for breakfast by the morrow's sun. Then the fairy dame thought to herself, Now the king is angry. Without doubt he will kill us. Now it is time to speak. And immediately she recited a stanza. A hundred thousand ditties all sung wrong. All are not worth a tith of one good song. To sing ill is a crime, and this is why. Not out of folly, fairy would not try. The king, pleased with the fairy, at once recited the stanza. She that hath spoken, let her go, that she the Himalaya hill again may see, but let them take and kill the other one, and for tomorrow's breakfast have him done. But the other fairy thought, If I hold my tongue, surely the king will kill me. Now is the time to speak. And then he recited another stanza. The kind depend upon the clouds, and men upon the kine. And I, O king, depend on thee, on me this wife of mine. Let one, before he seek the hills, the other's fate divine. When he said this, he repeated a couple of stanzas to make it clear that they had been silent not from unwillingness to obey the king's word, 
but because they saw that speaking would be a mistake. Oh, monarch, other people's other ways, tis very hard to keep you clear of blame. The very thing which for the one wins praise, another finds reproof for just the same. Someone there is who each man foolish finds, each by imagination different still, all different, many men and many minds. No universal law is one man's will. Quoth the king, He speaks the truth. Tis a sapient fairy. And much pleased, he recited the last stanza. Silent they were, the fairy and his mate, and he who now did utter speech for fear, unhurt, free, happy, let him go his gait. This is the speech brings good as oft we hear. Then the king placed the two fairies in a golden cage, and sending for the huntsman, made him set them free in the same place where he had caught them. The great being added, See, my teacher, in this manner the fairies kept watch on their words, and, by speaking at the right time, were set free for their well-speaking. But you, by your ill-speaking, have come to great misery. Then, after showing him this parallel, he comforted him, saying, Fear not, my teacher, I will save your life. Is there indeed a way? asked the other. How you can save me? he replied. It is not yet the proper conjunction of the planets. He let the day go by, and in the middle watch of the night brought thither a dead goat. Go when you will, Brahmin, and live, said he. Then let him go, and never a soul the wiser. And he did sacrifice with the flesh of the goat, and set up the gate upon it. THE HAWKS AND THEIR FRIENDS once upon a time, when Brahmadatta was king of Benares, certain men of the marches used to make a settlement, wheresoever they could best find much meat, dwelling in the forest and killing for meat for themselves and their families the game which abounded there. Not far from their village was a large natural lake, and upon its southward shore lived a hawk, on the west a she-hawk, on the north a lion, king of the beasts, on the east an osprey, king of the birds. In the middle dwelt a tortoise on a small island. The hawk asked the she-hawk to become his wife. She asked him, "'Have you any friends?' "'No, madame,' he replied. "'We must have someone who can defend us against any danger or trouble that may arise, and you must find some friends. Whom shall I make friends with?' "'Why, with King Osprey, who lives on the eastern shore, and with the lion on the north, and with the tortoise who dwells in the middle of this lake.' He took her advice and did so. Then the two lived together. It should be said that on a little islet in the same lake grew a kadamba tree surrounded by the water on all sides, in a nest which they made. Afterwards there were given to them two sons. One day, while the wings of the younglings were yet callow, some of the country folk went foraging through the woods all day and found nothing. Not wishing to return home empty-handed, they went down to the lake to catch a fish or a tortoise. They got on the island and lay down beneath the kadamba tree, and there, being tormented by the bites of gnats and mosquitoes, to drive these away, they kindled a fire by rubbing sticks together and made a smoke. The smoke, rising, annoyed the birds, and the young ones uttered a cry. "'Tis the cry of birds,' said the country folk. "'Up, make the fire! We cannot lie here hungry!' but before we lie down we will have a meal of fowl's flesh. 
They made the fire blaze and built it up, but the mother bird, hearing the sound, thought, "'These men wish to eat our young ones. We made friends to save us from that danger. I will send my mate to the great osprey.' Then she said, "'Go, my husband, tell the osprey of the danger which threatens our young.' Repeating this stanza, "'The country churls build fires upon the isle to eat my young ones in a little while. O hawk, to friend and comrade give the word, my children's danger tell to every bird.' The cockbird flew at all speed to the place and gave a cry to announce his arrival. Leave given, he came near to the osprey and made his greeting. "'Why have you come?' asked the osprey. Then the cock repeated the second stanza. "'O winged fowl, chiefest of the birds art thou. So, osprey king, I seek thy shelter now. Some country folk a-hunting now are fain. To eat my young, be thou my joy again.' "'Fear not said the osprey to the hawk, and, consoling him, he repeated the third stanza. "'In season, out of season, wise men make both friends and comrades for protection's sake. For thee, O hawk, I will perform this deed. The good must help each other at their need.' Then he went on to ask, "'Have the churls climbed up the tree, my friend?' "'They are not climbing yet. They are just piling wood on the fire.' "'Then you had better go quickly and comfort my friend, your mate, and say I am coming.' He did so. The osprey went also, and from a place near to the Kadamba tree he watched for the men to climb, sitting upon a treetop. Just as one of the boars who was climbing the tree had come near to the nest, the osprey dived into the lake, and from wings and beak sprinkled water over the burning brands, so that they were put out. Down came the men and made another fire to cook the bird and its young. When they climbed again, once more the osprey demolished the fire. So whenever a fire was made, the bird put it out, and midnight came. The bird was much distressed. The skin under his stomach had become quite thin. His eyes were bloodshot. Seeing him, the hen bird said to her mate, my lord the osprey is tired out go and tell the tortoise that he may have a rest when he heard this the bird approaching the osprey addressed him in a stanza good help the good the necessary deed thou hast in pity done for us at need our young are safe thou living have a care of thy own self nor all thy strength outwear on hearing these words loud as a lion's roar he repeated the fifth stanza while I am keeping guard about this tree, I care not if I lose my life for thee. So use the good, thus friend will do for friend, yea, even if he perish at the end. Then the hawk said, Rest a while, friend Osprey, and went away to the tortoise whom he aroused. What is your errand, friend? asked the tortoise. Such and such a danger has come upon us, and the royal osprey has been laboring hard ever since the first watch, and is very weary. That is why I have come to you. With these words he repeated the seventh stanza. Even they who fall through sin or evil deed may rise if friends will help them in their need. My young in danger, straight I fly to thee. O dweller in the lake, come, succor me. On hearing this, the tortoise repeated another stanza. The wise man to a man who is his friend, both food and goods, even life itself will lend. For thee, O hawk, I will perform this deed. The good must help each other at their need. 
His son, who lay not far off, hearing the words of his father, thought, I would not have my father troubled, but I will do my father's part. And therefore he repeated the ninth stanza. Here at thy ease remain, O father mine, and I, thy son, will do this task of thine. A son should serve a father, so tis best. I'll save the hawk his young ones in the nest. The father tortoise addressed his son in a stanza. So do the good, my son, and it is true that a son for father service ought to do. Yet they may leave the hawk's young brood alone, perchance if they see me so fully grown. With these words the tortoise sent the hawk away, adding, Fear not, my friend, but go you before, and I will come presently after. He dived into the water, collected some mud, and went to the island, quenched the flame, and lay still. Then the countryman cried, "'Why should we trouble about the young hawks? Let us roll over this one-eyed tortoise and kill him. He will be enough for all.' So they plucked some creepers and got some strings. But when they had made them fast in this place or that, and torn their clothes to strips for the purpose, they could not roll the tortoise over. The tortoise lugged them along with him and plunged in deep water. The men were so eager to get him that in they fell after, splashed about and scrambled out with a bellyful of water. "'Just look,' said they. "'Half the night the osprey kept putting out our fire, and now this tortoise has made us fall into the water and swallow it to our great discomfort. Well, we will light another fire, and at sunrise we will eat these young hawks. Then they began to make a fire. The hen-bird heard the noise they were making, and said, My husband, sooner or later these men will devour our young and depart. You go and tell our friend the lion. At once he went to the lion, who asked him why he came at such an unseasonable hour. The bird told him all from the beginning, and repeated the eleventh stanza. Mightiest of the beasts, both beasts and men, fly to the strongest when beset with fear. My young ones are in danger. Help me then. Thou art our king, and therefore I am here. This said, the lion repeated a stanza. Yes, I will do this service, hawk, for thee. Come, let us go and slay this gang of foes. Surely the prudent, he who wisdom knows, protector of a friend, must try to be. Having thus spoken, he dismissed him, saying, Now go and comfort your young ones. Then he went forward, churning up the crystal water. When the churls perceived him approaching, they were frightened to death. The osprey, they cried, put out our firebrands. The tortoise made us lose the clothes we had on. But now we are done for. This lion will destroy us at once. They ran this way and that. When the lion came to the foot of the tree, nothing could he see. Then the osprey, the hawk, and the tortoise came up, and accosted him. He told them the profitableness of friendship, and said, From this time forth be careful never to break the bonds of friendship. With this advice he departed, and they also went each to his own place. The hen-hawk, looking upon her young, thought, Ah, through friends have my young been given back to me. And as she rejoiced, she spoke to her mate and recited six stanzas declaring the effect of friendship. Get friends, a houseful of them, without fail. Get a great friend, a blessing he'll be found. 
veins strike the arrows on a coat of mail and we rejoice our younglings safe and sound through the kind help of their own friend who stayed to take their part the old birds chirp the young reply with notes that charm the heart the wise ask help at friends or comrade's hand lives happy with his goods and brood of kind so i my mate and young together stand because our friend to pity was inclined a man needs king and warriors for protection and these are his whose friendship is perfection thou cravest happiness he is famed and strong he surely prospers to whom friends belong even by the poor and weak o hawk good friends must needs be found by a friend's kindness we and ours behold are safe and sound the bird who wins a hero strong to play a friendly part as thou and i are happy hawk is happy in his heart so she declared the quality of friendship in six stanzas and all this company of friends lived all their lives long without breaking the bond of friendship and then passed away according to their deeds end of section thirty eight